to The Mob Show. I'm Mason on Business Startups Q here. This is how I do things. Big ideas for small budgets. Let's get to it. Hey, this is The Mob Show and it's Friday feeling in there. And today's episode is all about why you should give your children zero pounds pocket money. But before we do that, if you're on iTunes, jump down to the bottom and give us a five star review. Share it on to a friend of yours who you think might find this valuable. And don't forget to subscribe to hear for the next updates. Let's get to the show. How much pocket money should you give your kids? And in fact, look, I'm 36 years old and I've got one kid, I've got 13 months old. So you might be thinking, well, how can you talk with any particular confidence or knowledge about how much pocket money to give to a kid and to see how the kid pans out? Now, for me, I've got my own personal experience and why I am where I am today. In fact, I've long had an entrepreneurial passion. I've always had an interest in trying to make money, turn a, turn a few bob, as I think the phrase was many years ago. And I, I know exactly where that came from. Well, it came from a number of, number of reasons. My, my grandpa used to have an antique shop. And as a kid, I'd be left with him on a Sunday, his antique center in a place called the Hay Barn, up in a town called Battlesbridge. And I'd watch him. He'd sell things. He'd buy things off people and then sell it on for a bit more money next week or the week after. He'd collect things and he'd write down what the value of those were based on a price guide, Miller's price guide. And I'd watch him do this and I'd think, oh, you know, this, this is interesting. He's taking items that other people are selling for less money and making money out of it. And it was more of a hobby for him, really. He was retired and it was his passion. He wrote about, he was a big keen collector of smoking ephemera, there's a term, so smoking collectibles, pipes. He wrote books on pipes and uh, match cases, Vesta cases, they're called. And it kind of got me interested in it. And there was antiques around his house and he'd tell me all about them and he'd show me his different antiques collections. And I always kind of was interested in the fact they were worth something. I knew they were worth something because I knew he had a shop that sold those things. And he went to auctions and it was kind of always around me. Both my parents worked for their own businesses. They had their, their own property. My dad was a builder. And before that, he had an electrical firm of his brother. So kind of running your own thing has been something that's very much in my sort of DNA. My, my uncle has his own business. My other uncle has his own business. My cousins work for themselves. So I didn't really know many people who had a job. So growing up as a kid, I didn't really have... I didn't have an uncle who worked for British Telecom or, or you know, an aunt who worked for you know, NHS or whatever. I didn't have that around me. That wasn't something that I ever kind of was, 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 was aware of. I remember when I was at school, I went to, my parents saved up their money and my grandpa helped them out and they sent me to a private school because as a kid I wasn't very good at talking. In fact, I didn't really want to learn. I was at kindergarten and I got sent away to see paediatricians, kids doctors, that's the one, yeah because my mum was worried that I was refusing to learn, I wouldn't pick up books, I was slow to speak, I wasn't able to make sentences very clear. In fact, even today you can hear I speak fast, so I got sent to speech therapy lessons, and then they took out my tonsils and adenoids, as if that's got any bearing about my willingness to learn. That's it, take out his adenoids. I wasn't set up for people to think, hang on, this kid's gonna become you know, a, a doctor or a scientist or, or whatever. So I was always a bit worried about me, and I was, I started writing a lot later than anyone else. So my parents saved up their money, and it, and it was, it was a bit of a tough time. I think at the, at that stage, my dad had suffered from a breakdown from overworking, and so there wasn't a huge amount of money around. But they scraped their pennies together, and they sent me to a private school. Now it was a, like a preparatory school that gets you ready for the eleven plus. And I remember being there one day, and there was, there was give you an idea of this kind of school. There were kids whose dads were bankers and lawyers and doctors, and there was. Uh, one particular kid who picked on another one, he goes, well, at least my dad doesn't drive a lorry. And this other guy whose dad drove a lorry obviously worked damn hard, incredibly, should be incredibly proud of, of, of what he sacrificed and did and, and invested in for his kid to have a good future. And that, that lad now is, I, I 
follow him on Facebook. He's got seems to have a good career. He's you know he's set up. You know he's good. Uh, had a good education. His dad made sacrifices, and I. So I was around people at school, certainly, who had these kind of suited dad jobs. And my dad one day picked me up from school in, a, in, a, in a, his van. He had this big blue van. I remember it now. It was, a, was it a Renault, big Renault blue van. And someone went, oh, is that your dad's car? And I was embarrassed because all these other kids' dads you know, worked in suits and had briefcases and picked them up in BMWs. And I was like, no, no, he's just a builder. And it kind of taught me this really bad thing that I should be ashamed of. And... I remember many years later I said to my dad, Dad, you know, I'm not, I've never been ashamed of you. In fact, I'm incredibly proud of the sacrifices my parents made. I'm incredibly proud of how hard they work. Uh, my dad worked his fingers to the bone. My dad's biggest stress his whole life was all about not having enough money because his father died very young and him and his brother had to provide for their mother and make sure the business was still ticking. I had an electrical firm in the family that my granddad had. It was always, money was always a worry. When my dad was, dad was born in 1944, so he had rationing. When my dad was born, Luftwaffe was still bombing London, the Blitz with the V2 bombs as well. And they grew up in an era when Dad went to school, kids were wearing plastic bags on their feet. So you know, they, they, I, don't, I don't come from affluent family. I don't come from this, this super wealthy background. So there wasn't actually a lot of money to give to me as pocket money. And so the point of this podcast was why you shouldn't give your kids pocket money. And my dad, I remember I was at school and all these other kids had, had £5 a week. And they'd spend it on the sweets or the tuck shop or they'd have them. We had these, you don't have them now clearly at schools because the world's moved on. But we have these magazines that go around every month. And you could select a book or a magazine that you wanted and it'd get delivered to you the following month. And it was, there'd be some cool fun books there, I don't know, detective guides, whatever. Whatever kids liked as you know, Usborne detective guide. And I didn't have the pocket money to get those things or have it to give them you know, the money to, to buy those books. So I always remember feeling a bit kind of left out. And finally, after a number of years, I kind of broached the confidence. And I said to mum and dad, I said, why don't I get pocket money? And my, my parents were like, what do you mean? And it was alien to them. It was alien the idea that you would just be given some money for doing nothing other than being a child. The idea that you give them pocket money for no discernible reason was completely alien to them. They never even thought about it. It wasn't so much they were like, we're not going to give our son pocket money. It was, what's, what's pocket money? And it is... In essence, an early step towards creating an entitled person. The idea that from a young age, you just get given something, handed to you for doing nothing other than just breathing is possibly, I'd say in my opinion, because it's only my opinion, is one of the worst examples of how to gear up a child for the future. We live in an age now, talk about how, many, how people are so entitled, how you have to have safe spaces and snowflake generation. And look, some of these things have come about for good reasons. We have to worry about how people are, or people feel isolated in universities, in schools, in life, because we've often overlooked the values and the, and the, the civil liberties and the civil rights of people who've historically been overlooked. But look, we don't live in a day and age now where the chances are you're going to be dragged from your house and taken to a death camp. We don't live in a day and age where when you go to bed tomorrow, tonight, you may not wake up in the morning because a bomb's hit your house. So we start to worry about really, really minor details because we have nothing bigger to be concerned about. You could argue right now that we care more about big things that are happening like Brexit. So we're focusing on that rather than tiny, minute issues of super snowflake status that you have perhaps in America and you see on YouTube. But we are, in essence, creating an entitlement, an attitude of entitlement that you get something for nothing. And sadly, well not sadly, quite correctly, that's just not the case. And you not find anyone in society who's achieved. Now, like, we can talk about financially achieved. People who financially achieved um, is not the only form of success. 
There are some amazing people who've done wonderful, they've devoted their lives to charity, good work, good causes, nurses. I had to spend a lot of time in hospitals over the last couple of years because of my own parents and my, my wife with having my baby. I think they're wonderful, wonderful people. In fact, anyone who devotes their life to nursing or medical care or people who need it are absolute ridiculous saints. We give the police a tough time. Could you imagine doing the job of the average policeman? The average policeman or policewoman is not a corrupt, bent copper. The average police person is an incredibly considerate person who has to mind a number of rules and is trying to keep the, law, the rule of law and order. And they have to deal with some horrendous situations on a daily basis and they have a damn tough job. Armed forces go and do the work that our politicians tell them to do they risk their life and limb without quibble for things that politicians with briefcases and suits in comfortable offices in London or Washington or Brussels or Strasbourg or wherever in the world, they have to go and do those things knowing they may not come out of that alive, leaving their children without a father or a mother. The English people make amazing sacrifices. That is achievement, so I'm not going to get past that. But let's talk about this in terms of business and finance. We talk about how we create a status of entitlement within people because we tell them that, look, you can have something for nothing. And later on, when thing isn't going your way, we'll give you a bigger handout. And when you're on holiday with your mates and you overspend and you need to call me up because you need more money, I'm going to give you more money because I'm telling you from a very young age, you can have something for nothing. My parents, this was alien to them. They had no idea what pocket money was. It was something that just didn't exist to them. So I didn't get pocket money. And I saw I was spent time at my grandpa's house and uh, in, his, in his shop, and I'd see business and trade and commerce. So I was, I, in one side of me, I was being showed retail, trade, and merchant, and in the other side, I had the, the, the sort of the, the, the pull factor, or the push factor of having no pocket money. So I said to my dad, I said, "You know, why don't I get pocket money? Other kids at my school get pocket money." And my dad said, oh, "I don't know what pocket money is, but you can have as much money as you want. You just have to earn it." you're thinking, well, how can you make a five-year-old earn money? Well, there's lots of things you can do. You can create the idea that they're earning it. So if you had a small task in the house that you need sorting, you could ask your child to move all the buttons from one pot to another. That's a really important task. You tell them, you, you portray it as an important task, and in return, you give them a financial reward for having fulfilled that. Now, you could say, well, doesn't that just create the idea of being a wage slave? No, because you can tell them there is a number of different tasks. You can do as many as you want. You can earn as much money as you want. So I wasn't given pocket money, but I was told that I could earn as much money as I wanted. My dad would say, well, the leaves need sweeping, the gutters need cleaning, the windows need washing, the cars need cleaning, the cars need hoovering. There's tons of jobs that need to be done, and I can't fulfill all those jobs, and I'm going to have to pay someone else to do them. So if you want those jobs, you can do them and do the job correctly, and I'll pay you for it. And so that's what I did. And when I finished a job, my dad would say, right, I want, you, I want an invoice. I'm going to put that through the books, do it properly. So he'd teach me to write an invoice. I uh, probably was better then than I am now. And now I, these days I palm it off to people who are more organized than I am. Thank you, Kim. And I would do these jobs and I'd write up an invoice and then he'd pay me in cash. And sometimes, sometimes he'd put it in a little envelope for me, the little brown envelopes you get. I, don't know, I think when you're at Cubs or, or they collect uh, subs for football teams in or wherever they have brown envelopes. They're quite widely available. And I would do that and I would submit my invoice and he'd give me my, my payment on the Monday morning or the Sunday afternoon. And then I'd have money. And then I would, what would I do with that? Well, then I could buy those books and buy those magazines. But then I'd realise that actually I could then turn money into more money. And at the same time, my dad would, he bought a few stocks and shares when Margaret Thatcher privatised some of the big companies in the UK. And he'd sold them when they'd gone up. And he bought some other stocks 
And he'd done very well actually on a few of them. I remember one was a flat panel speaker company called Veritas or Verity Group. I think Veritas is a funeral company. No, Veritas is, yeah, whatever, I don't know. But Verity it was. It's a flat panel speaker company. And I saw him triple his money on these shares. And I'd watch him and he had teletext. So he didn't have the internet back then. So he'd watch the, wait for the, the page on teletext on BBC2, whatever it was, CFAX, come up with the share price. At the end of the day, he'd know he'd gone up or he's gone down. And he bought some shares in a company called Capita Group, who we see them now. They're a big conglomerate who manage a lot of privatised services. And I thought, well, hang on, you can turn money into more money. So then I started to think, well, how can I do that? And I knew, obviously, I spent my Sundays with my grandpa. And I picked up one of these price guides, antiques guides. And I thought, well, I really like military history. My grandpa was a RAF intelligence officer, spent many years in the forces. And I, he would show me his buttons, which sounds like a massive euphemism for some seedy stuff. So he'd show me his, his military button collection. And he had all types of military buttons from the old colonial regiments, the Canadian regiments, the, Ken, the Kenyan regiments, all around the world. And there'd be in these, these busy drawers in his study upstairs, nicely organised, an incredible collection. I thought, well, I, I want to get some of these too. And he gave me a few to, to get myself started. And I start going to antiques exhibitions, antiques fairs with him. And I'd buy cap badges, which are the little things that go down the slide on the front of a cap of an officer's hat. And I'd collect those and I'd collect World War I postcards, which were a specific type that had a certain type of artwork and that would often be written by soldiers in the First World War and then sent back home to their sweethearts. And I collect those as well because I knew those would have a value. I thought I could then sell those on. So very early from a number of different factors around me, I had learned that not only could you earn money and that you could earn a lot more money than just getting pocket money, you'd learn about business, you'd learn about invoicing, you'd learn about the ability to, to leverage your time, but also leverage your capital because once you've earned money, you could then buy an asset that could then grow in value and that would sit there and earn more money while you go out and earn more money. So your money becomes worth more money and you go out and earn more money. And that to me is why you should give your child zero pocket money. So we're going to do a certain thing when my child's a little bit older. We'll give them a tenner and say, right, I want you to double that by next week. Those sort of experiments are a fantastic opportunity for you to show your child self-reliance, initiative. Look, he might lose the money. She might lose the money. But you teach, teach them lessons about how to manage money, about how to earn money, and about how to be self-reliant and go out there and create your own opportunity. So there you go. That's how I got into the mindset that I have now, which is I believe that I am the ability to earn money. I am the ability to go out there and achieve what I want to achieve. I don't feel entitled. I blame myself when things go wrong. I take the credit when they go right sometimes, although invariably it's usually a better person than me who's done it. But I was paid zero pound pocket money and you should do the same yourself. So how much pocket money should you give your child? Zero pounds. Thanks for listening. If you found this useful, don't forget to give us a rating, give us a share and subscribe for the next update. Thanks for listening to today's show. Check us out online, themobshow.com. Check us on Twitter, the underscore mob show. Always chucking out bits of advice there. And follow our journey of setting up a CBD shop in the cannabis space, Instagram at local CBD shop. Or you can find ourselves on Instagram, the underscore mob show.